You're listening to the Ricky Long Podcast, where international fitness entrepreneur Ricky Long answers your questions and interviews fitness leaders on training, nutrition, and mindset. Ricky is a fitness industry expert, having been helping people achieve their fitness goals since 2002. We talk everything fitness, business, and group exercise to help you on your fitness journey. Live unapologetically, how to live through trauma with Curtis Pipes. You will absolutely love this podcast. Um, a lot of different topics for uh, the Ricky Long podcast. Really, really enjoyed sitting down with Curtis and doing this one. Um, the audio you're about to hear is completely unedited and we're streaming. He's based in Australia. Um, so there is that nice little sound delay. We'll talk over a few times, particularly each other a few times, particularly towards the end. Um, so yeah, apologies, but no apologies because I am embodying Curtis's mantra and that is live unapologetically. Definitely go and check out Curtis's uh, social media, check out his book. Fantastic read. I'm about halfway through it. Um, so yeah, we'll jump into the podcast in a minute. First of all, I'm going to give you the generic Podcast Supporters Club audio clip. The Ricky Long Podcast is free and always will be free. What you can do is you can choose to become part of our Podcast Supporters Club and community. All the income raised from here will be reinvested directly back into the podcast. That reinvestment will look like uh, more time being spent on the edits. It'll look like better quality guests coming on. It might be better mics. It might be at such time when... You know the world reopens again or you know we're in studios recording these podcasts in person as a podcast supporter you will have direct input on podcast subject and guests you will have exclusive early access to all episodes and you will officially be supporting local business so you'll get early access to all episodes most episodes are going to go out either on a friday and a monday and what i will do with the uh, video part of the episode is that will be put into our podcast supporters club and the podcast supporters club it kind of looks a bit like a facebook group a lot of influence uh, and podcasters will use a platform called patreon add a look at patreon i've decided not to use patreon i'm going to put it all through my website it gives me a little bit more um, freedom and flexibility on how i want it to work um, like I said, you will uh, officially be supporting local business. I'm a member of Three People's Patreons, um, which, uh, as I've already said, is similar to what I'm creating myself on my own, um, where I voluntarily pay to listen to their content, um, to your Northern Ireland local comedians, um, and the other one is a fitness uh, creator. Um, and like I said, you can you can choose how much you want to pay. I have a little bit of freedom and play on how you can choose to support so you can be a fan you can be a supporter you can be a super supporter you can be a partner and sponsor and there's different things you get in each one of those it starts from as little as four pounds a month and it can go as high as 100 pounds a month that would be if you want to be a podcast sponsor um, and perhaps do a feature episode about one of the products you wish to um, talk about on our podcast and there's even an option if you don't fancy doing a monthly payment you can just donate there's a link for my paypal on the podcast supporters page by the way on the podcast supporters page i have completely revamped the page so i'd love you to go and check that out there's lots of free value and content on there i'm going to put videos on there there's links to the most popular episodes as well as well as a video of the actual conversation that Rachel Newsham and I had when we recorded our podcast I want to say August of 2020 um, that's the date it's not important it's just uh, it was definitely 2020 um, so yeah please go and check that page out if you want to become a podcast supporter you're going to get early access to all podcasts you become part of the community um, if you become if you go look at the super supporter one you can even get a coaching plan from from me and you will get mentioned on the podcast and i will direct people towards your social media and whatever it is you are trying to help people with that is the podcast supporters club that is the first official plug 
I would love to expand the Podcast Supporters Club. The ideas I have moving forward is once a certain amount of people in it, it allows me to dedicate more time and give more value. So the Podcast Supporters Club will be getting exclusive podcasts and videos. I would like to be doing that at least once, hopefully twice a week. Ideally, I'd love to do like a Podcast Supporters Club only podcast and uh, like a Zoom video call where we just get all the supporters on the Zoom video call and just have a little bit of crack and banter once or twice a week. That's the plans. I can only do it if you actually want to support the podcast. So maybe you don't like my podcast, which would be weird because you're listening to this right now. But you get what I'm saying. The link is regularlong.com forward slash podcast. It's going to be in the bio and link of all future podcasts. You're listening to the Ricky Long Podcast. The podcast today is Curtis Pipes, who is an entrepreneur and he comes from a homelessness and sexual molestation background. He is a coach, speaker, and now a published author. Uh, Curtis is known for his passion, discipline, and philosophy of so what had happened and it's not happening. Towards excuse and traumas, people allow to control their lives. Curtis delivers urgency on people living their greatness, secrets to success, and experiencing their self-worth at making the show not only constructively confronting, but energetic and insanely useful. Live, unapologetically, oh, <laughs> I nearly got that, live and unapologetically, it is Curtis Pipes. Hey! Uh, thank you so much for coming on we've been dinging back and forwards for a couple of weeks or so trying to get a time oh man the time the time the time limit the time zone gets us man i know know. it's seven o'clock where you are now where where are you now yeah in australia seven o'clock yeah so when i first started messaging i I thought you were in america and i was (laughs) you know the american times for columbus is that where you're originally from columbia columbia missouri yeah oh crazy yeah you know, um, introduce yourself. Who is Curtis Pipes? Oh, yeah. Curtis Pipes, born and raised in the Midwest of the United States, Columbia, Missouri, uh, a.k.a. the Show Me State, the 573. Um, I've lived out of the United States for the last, since 2010, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up with a single mother, had an older sister, and had pretty humble, a humble childhood. Uh, played sports. Uh, my mother was the father and mom of the house. She taught me discipline, respect, and honesty. But um, even in saying that, though, I knew at a young age that my hometown wasn't all that was cracked up to be. There was more for me to do. And I was one of those kids who always said that my dreams are bigger than my city lines, my state lines. And at a young age, I found that people would make fun of that because I mean what all we knew was our hometown but I just always felt that there was more for me to do more for me to see more for me to accomplish than uh, what was in my hometown so at that stage in my life I was, I was young so we're talking like early teens but I always stuck to that always stuck to that and so in 2010 I was about late 20s and I just I had the opportunity to leave my hometown to pursue a dream that I had at that point in my life. And I told people if I got the opportunity or if I got the job, then I was leaving. And it took me to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think when I got the opportunity to go, it was October, November, November. And I was in New Zealand two months later. Like I sold all of my stuff and uh hopped the plane and moved to new zealand ever since then i haven't lived back in the united states it's been an amazing 11 years out of the united states uh, just of growth and experiences and the, the place i've gotten to see throughout the world and um yeah just truly grateful man just truly grateful i wouldn't have my life any other way um you talk about you know your, your whole message on social media. What's good about this is we've actually been friends on Facebook since about 2015. I was having a look as I was doing my research for this. <laughs> this is the first time we've met and had any you know you know proper quality conversation. Um, what, what is your message with live and unapologetically? Because that's it's the name of your podcast. It's all over your social media. It's on your website, and it's the name of well, it's part of the name of the book which is part of the message of the book, rather, um, which is what we're, we're here to talk about. 
it's just living on your own terms, uh, living as you want to live, not feeling like you have to apologize for the things that you think and that you verbalize, apologize for your actions, just you being you 110%, regardless if it's if in someone else. Um, and it comes from a long line of, of me being the people pleaser for years. And so understanding and, and um, experiencing the, the feeling of frustration, the feeling of unworthiness and just anger in myself for putting a lot of people before me, but make sure they're happy first. Like as long as they're happy, quote unquote, I'm happy, which was never, which was never the case. So live unapologetically just comes from you, like you being you, whatever that means. Like, does it matter the what society what society says? Doesn't matter what your environment says. Like, I, like I said earlier, that I grew up in a small town, um, and it was when I first thought about leaving. When I first started to vocalize that I was going to leave, if I got this opportunity, a lot of people were like, "Well, you won't know anyone." Uh, why would you do that? You know, your family's here. What, what about your family? What about your mom and your sister? And so it was, it was that that small time, that small town thinking. Uh, not saying things wrong with it, but just it wasn't for me. So me going out and completely moving across the world from the United States to New Zealand, I don't think I can get any further than that. Uh, that's where I really started to experience. I didn't know at that time what I call now living unapologetically. Like, like, look, this is my life. And I refuse to have any regrets. I refuse to be the person and look at my life when I'm 90, 95 years old, 100 years old with what ifs. Yeah. So when it comes to living unapologetically, it's just whoever that person is on this planet, whatever little niggle they have in their system, that, that you know, that intuitive voice you follow it and you disregard what anyone else is going to say, what anyone else is going to think. You are just doing you. Because mm -hmm. you, you understand that if you are doing it for you, you are being you, then yes, totally. it's right for you. Yeah, totally. Like when I started to really embody that entire philosophy, I literally how, how, how did that come about? How did you start to embody that? Oh man, um, I honestly didn't really start to embody it about until about four, three, four years ago. Um, and it all came about because I was doing the healing on myself. I was going to the personal development. I've been in personal development for years, uh, since 2014, 2015, but really cracking down on the things that I needed to heal on in my life that I thought that I was okay with. Um, but really pulling back the layers and, you know, and unveiling whatever was there and really looking into it. It's like, you know what, you're not okay. There's still things that you need to learn. But when I started to peel those layers back, I really realized that what was really missing for me um, from even before I left, my hometown up until mid thirties, late thirties was self-love. And that just goes through all the trauma that I ever had in my entire life. Like the common thread was self-love. So I really didn't embody it until I realized that, that I can't rely on someone else to validate my worthiness. I can't rely on someone else to validate how valuable I actually am on this planet. That comes from that comes from an internal place. So looking back at my traumas and realizing that none of it was my fault, like you mentioned earlier, that that happened. It's not happening, but for years, for years, I allowed it to happen okay. unconsciously, um, being angry all the time and you know not trusting certain people. I didn't realize that that was tied to the traumas that I had. But when I realized it and started to learn from it, I was able to let it go which allowed more space for self-love. Well, one of the quotes I love and I've really started to try and explore this and, and live this myself is it might not be your fault, but mm -hmm. everything is 100% your responsibility. 
and how you react and respond. So there can be you know, a car crash at the bottom of the street and you're safe in your house. Well, it's not your fault. You weren't involved, but 100% your responsibility. What do you do now? Do you just stand and watch to get your phone out and take pictures? Um, do, you, do you phone the cops, yeah. phone ambulance, fire service? Um, and a lot of what you said, there's kind of, I'm nodding along thinking, oh, I've, I've got to got to get more into this. Um, you also said about self-development. Now, you've been in the fitness industry. How long have you been in the fitness industry or were you in the fitness industry? I was in the fitness industry from, oh, geez, uh, 2006, 2006 when I started as a freelancer yeah. until 2020, 2019, 2020. And so I was in it for years. You see some stories. <laughs> Yo, man, I got stories for days. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see them for the end. We'll make people stay listening. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, that's where I, that's where I talk about it in my book. Cause you mentioned that it is my house, the person's responsibility that really, I, what the first thing I thought of is when I was homeless, like it's quote unquote, not my fault that I'm homeless. Granted when I lived, when I moved to New Zealand, I did move on an opportunity. I didn't move there with a sort of, with like a concrete job. So all the money that I earned and that I received from selling all my stuff in, in the United States, that money started to run out. So eventually I became homeless. So it was my responsibility at that point in my life to, to well, there's only one, there was only one choice was to not be, not be homeless anymore. There was no backdoor option of going home. Even when I was starving, even when I was stealing food, even when I was stealing money, I always told myself, you chose this. This is part of your journey to become who you need to be to live the dream that you want to live. So it was my responsibility to get off the streets. So what did I do? Um, in, the, in the short term, I continued to steal food. I continued to steal money. And, but I kept up leveling myself in my talent and my skills. So the company that I was working for would see that and I would have more opportunities and paid off. So I eventually was not homeless anymore. And it was my, it was my responsibility to get off the streets. It wasn't my mom, she was 13,000 miles away. It was none of my family, it was none of my friends. I was on the ground, literally in New Zealand. So it was my responsibility. You speak quite openly about that and in your content as well you know about being homeless and you know a life crime almost if I can word it like that um, it was that was that difficult for you to start talking about and kind of using it as as your message uh it was at first um just because a lot of people that I have come to be close with in New Zealand they didn't know uh-huh. and so when they first heard about it, they're like, what? what? Like, they just couldn't believe it, which makes sense. I mean, because no one knew. Um, they started to put the pieces together like a puzzle, you know, for example, oh, so that explains when you came over to my house, you were extremely hungry. It's like, yeah, I haven't eaten for a few days. Um, and just little things like that. Like, you know, you lo- oh, I remember when you lost a lot of weight um, and they were like, at that point, at that point in my career in New Zealand, I was still going to classes, still learning from the best in the world, and even though I wasn't eating, so I lost weight really quick. And I'm not—I'm a small person anyway, so for me to lose weight, it's easy to tell. But everyone thought that I was lean, that I was extra fit, and so my friends put together that. So when you lost a lot of weight real quick, that's when you were home. So I'm like, yep. I was like, but all of you thought that I was just going to class a lot. <laughs> and so, and I, was like, I was like, I was going to class, but also wasn't eating. So it's just little things like that. So I was really uncomfortable at first to, to divulge that information. But I realized when I started to talk about it, that that was also the next process of me healing through it. And so it became a lot easier to talk about. Do you find there's people who judge you like now after all of that even now for hearing about it or do you find any questions that way i haven't experienced judgments in terms of the homelessness 
I think it's still it's still a matter of disbelief, especially with the book out there and people reading. It's like I cannot believe you're homeless. Especially my mom, uh, she was mad at me. Me and my mom are really close. She was mad oh, so at it. She didn't know. Oh, she didn't know. No, my, my mom knew before oh. the book came out. Me and my mom are very close. So eventually, I was I got off the street. And just one day over Skype, when everyone used Skype and not Zoom, that's how long ago it was. Wow. Um, she asked me, you know, she just basically said, I have a question for you. And I was like, yes, mom. She's like, were you, <laughs> she's like, were you ever homeless? And I was like, I was stuck. I was like, how the hell did she realize that? And I was trying to, moms know. And I was like, oh, you know, try to play it off, try to laugh it off. And I was like, oh, mom, you know, it's not a big deal. She's like, no, I'm serious. Are you homeless? And I was like, yes, ma'am. And so that's when she first caught wind up. And so she, you know, of course, mom, and she's a caretaker. Why did you tell, why did you tell me? I was like, what were you going to do? Like I mentioned earlier, what were you going to do from 13,000 miles away? What? What? You weren't going to be able to do anything. This is something I had to go through. And eventually she came to terms with it. But there was no judgment. Um, I think there was maybe some judgment when it came to me talking about my eating disorder because again that happened in New Zealand as well and people really like because I was a group fitness instructor so people really who came to my classes were really blown black uh, blown back by that yeah. to hear that I had an eating disorder I'm like yes yeah. I said half the time you would see me on a Thursday because that's most of the time I did when I perform my eating disorder. My eating disorder was chewing and spitting. So I would eat my chew up my food and spit it out. But Thursdays was like my my designated day because I had four classes that day. And so after my fourth class, I would go to the supermarket and buy chocolate, buy chips, and buy a massive liter of Coke. Wouldn't even drink the Coke. I just pour the Coke out of my sink and chew up my food and spit it in the liter bottle and toss it in the in the bin but they were really blown back by that they just they couldn't believe it they didn't think it was true um when I started to ask me questions about it like why did this happen how did it come about and at that point in my life like I mentioned earlier uh the lack of love I had for myself I really gave into peer pressure. I really gave into other people's expectations of me. Uh, at that point in my career, since I wasn't homeless anymore, I really made a career for myself in New Zealand. And I was teaching a lot of classes. I was like, I was in tip top shape. Um, I was fit, I was on DVDs. So they saw me as like this really fit, like fit person. So I felt compelled to live up to that, disregarding my own needs. Mm -hmm. So I would go around talking about how I ate properly grilled chicken and vegetables and stuff. But behind closed doors, I'd have my chocolate and my chips and stuff like that. No one ever knew. So I think there was a little bit of judgment there when I when I when I started to talk about that story. When I started to talk about my eating disorder. And it's it's uncommon to hear a guy, you know, a, a big guy or reputable guy talk about mm. eating disorder. So that's it's really good for people to hear and learn from them. And when was this? Was this 2015, 16, did you say? Or uh let's see. So eating disorder, eating disorder. <laughs> 2013. 2012, yeah. 2013. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So again, probably even more uncommon back then yeah. talking about that sort of thing. So I can only imagine the absolute turmoil that you probably would have been having with yourself and, and there is this pressure in the fitness industry it's everywhere in the fitness industry we need to you know look a certain way walk a certain way lift us you know for guys lift a certain amount of weight um yeah. that we do have that peer pressure and we almost went full circle i've written one thing down here that you said earlier mm -hmm. um i've almost gone full circle because we're kind of bred in the fitness industry particularly group fitness to be people pleasers we're there, oh, yeah. we're well, there to teach four classes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're there to teach four classes a day at our own detriment to entertain and, and coach these other people. Totally. Yeah, and, and yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's interesting to say that because yeah, we get on the stage, we have the microphone. Anything that we're going through goes out the window yeah. because it's all about the people on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, when I 
people was like, how did I not know this? Like, well, why would you know? My focus when I came to class was to coach you all. So there's no way you would have known unless you followed me back to my apartment and you saw what I was doing. But yeah, I really think that for men, uh, disregard the, just, just the group fitness industry, but just the fitness period, how we are supposed, like you said, we're supposed to look a certain way. We're supposed to lift a certain amount of weight or, or whatever it may be, because um, what I'm five foot five, I don't know what that is. I think it's like 165 centimeters. And so I've always been a small guy. And so living up to the expectation of, and even in New Zealand, it, it was interesting when I first moved there to, <laughs> I laugh at it now and I laugh at it. I laugh at it now and even then just because of the friends that I still have, I had then, I have now. But it was very interesting to hear their take on brown boys. I'm like, y'all like brown boys here? <laughs> so I was like, really? <laughs> so I was like, I'm in the perfect place. And even <laughs> then, oh, I loved it. And then even then, like getting to know them, what they thought of man or what their perception of a man was, was like the rugby players. Like we're talking like all black stature rugby players. And so it was very interesting to hear, I, I need a man's man, you know, like the rugby player and so on and so forth. And, you know, can do this, can do that. I'm like, well, that is not like, I'm not a rugby player. I played one rugby game when I moved to New Zealand just to see what it was like. And I never played again. I was, I was like, this is not the sport for me. I was, I was like, this is, this is death. Like, I was so sore, like I was like, how do you play this game day in and day out? But yeah, it's very interesting you say that because I know other men in the industry, uh, even to this day, just the pressure to, you know, to look a certain way. And, and when they take pictures, they make sure that they breathe all the air out of their body so their abs are showing or whatever it may be. And I was that person. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I was that person ten, um, tenfold. And so I just think it's very uncommon the very uncommon to hear men talk about it. And I didn't start talking about it just to be like, I am a man who went through this. It was, this was my story. Yeah. But when I started to talk about it, I really started to get messages from other men who went, who went through the same thing or have gone through or are going through it right now. Mm -hmm. I remember when the, probably when social media first started to come alive, you know, 2012, 13, 14, when it was probably just Facebook at that point. Like I remember getting messages from other instructors and other trainers from fellas. And for some reason, I, I don't know why they came to me. They're just like, Ricky, I, I need to get bigger. I need to do a weights program. And um, you know, I'm looking at, at steroids and gear. Which one should I take and how do I take it? And I'm like, what what do I do with this? How do I respond to this? You know what? And then I'm sort of sort of thinking, why do they think I'm the guy to get people steroids and gear? You know. What message yeah. am I putting out there <laughs> to have yeah, that? Yeah. But the, the, yeah. there is a, it, and it's maybe, you know, I, I do, maybe I, I'm generalizing here, but it's maybe different for women to, you know, to, to be lean and athletic, whereas for men, it's be big and athletic. And there are yeah. those massive pressures. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think there is a difference um, for, I mean, you wouldn't, if you, if you put next, if you put two men side by side, a marathon runner, so mm -hmm. tall, obviously, no muscle mass whatsoever. And then you put someone who lifts, not necessarily a rugby player or anything like that, and ask a woman who's more manly. I don't care what, 10 out of 10, they're going to pick the athletic person. That's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, that's what's portrayed in, in social media. I mean, Instagram is covered in that kind yeah. of shit. And just TV and movies. And so... I mean, I, I, even, I even tried to be that when I first started getting into group fitness, trying to look like the people on the DVDs in the weight programs and asking what they ate. And then when I moved to New Zealand and, and really realized how people um, grasp onto an idea, mm -hmm. a vision of what they should look like when they're looking at someone else. Because I, I did a 21-day challenge. I'll never forget this. I did a 21 day challenge and I mentioned it on social media and immediately like you, I got e messages. Like, what are you doing? What do I need to do? What, what do I need to eat? I'm like, okay. Like, now, now I was getting really serious. I never told him what I was doing, but just to get those messages. And I made a comment one day just to see, cause I'm a person who likes to mess with people a little bit. 
but I, I made a comment, I made, did a post on Facebook where I talked about eating carrots. And I was like, oh man, I, had a lot, I ate a lot of carrots today. There's a lot of calories in carrots. The amount of messages, the amount of comments that I got from that one post, and even, even most of the comments after a while were people going at each other about the nutrition that are in carrots and either how they're good or how they're bad. And I was like, oh, okay, this is serious. The, for people who, for people to put like, put people like you and like me on a pedestal and then compare themselves to us, how much, how scary that actually can be. And then on the other hand, how I actually was the person who I was compared myself to people on DVDs and how I wanted to look and sound like and be like them. So it's just this, it's this, this, this really, this is really, you know, fragile branch that we have to teeter on. And if one, one step in the wrong direction, it's going to crack. That's it. That's social media for you. That's, um, I mean, everybody loves it. And it's always Facebook. Everybody loves a Facebook thread because Facebook doesn't have a limit in how much you're allowed to write. So comments can be like three or four paragraphs long. So yeah. this, this is why I love Twitter. Twitter limits you. You have to be concise yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, limit, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I tend to just use Facebook now for just sarcastic comments, pictures of my dog, that sort of thing. I, I don't like really do yet. And I'll use my private Facebook groups. I'll maybe go yeah. into some of the other Facebook groups and I'll just like drop a hand grenade every now and then, a bit like you said. You know, maybe mm. just go, squats don't work. Boom! Yeah. <laughs> just wind people up. Um, just kind of going back in, into your book, I always, I always ask people, you know, when I get them on for, you know, whatever the project is, you know, your project is a book, you know, kind of, you've already touched on this, um, but why did you write it? Because there's so many other options. You could have done a podcast series, you could have done a YouTube series, etc. Why a book? Uh, I was sort of forced into writing a book. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, um... I, I've always been a writer. Um, I've written music for years. I've written um, poems and stuff for years. But the book came about because I just I, I have a business coach, and I was like, you know what? I feel like writing a book. He's like, do it. And so I started to teeter with the idea um, of what I was going to write about. And the only thing that I can write about is my life. So I just went through, you know, what is my what do I like to message about on social media to people just forget social media just people in person human beings and where could it come from so i just think look these are my traumas i talk about this stuff i mean even before the book came about i was talking about the eating disorder sexual molestation the homeless all that stuff so people knew that i went through it but they didn't know the story and so the stories so i really felt that there was gold in the stories for people who may be suffering in silence because I suffered that way for years. And it was just a matter of, I felt that I had to keep a certain um, image. I felt that also that me talking about this stuff as a man would, is not something that men talk about. And so that's why the book wasn't written earlier, but then I just got to this point where you know, screw that. There is a lot of gold for people, like I said, who are suffering in silence, who can learn from me, whatever it may be. It could be, they learn from the entire book and they learn just from a chapter. Um, they learn just from a little blip of my story. But as long as it helps them, I'm cool. Because I've done healing around. Like, I don't feel bad talking about this stuff. I don't get apprehensive about talking about it. And so I decided to write the book just because like you mentioned, you asked me earlier about living unapologetically. Now I'm able to do that because I've worked through my traumas. I didn't try to get over them. I've worked through them. And the book just took on a whole entire life of itself. Um, there was a time in the book as I was writing it that I almost stopped. Um, it was chapter, like chapter two of my book where I was talking about the sexual molestation and I'll, like I go into detail and there's some things that I've never talked about. Some things that my mom doesn't know. 
my really close friends didn't know. And I had to really put that chapter, I put the entire book away and I almost didn't write it um, because I was really reluctant on talking about those things. But I just came back into myself after a while and just asked myself a simple question. If you don't write the book, then what was the point of even starting? And so working through that after the next couple of days, like, you know what, there is, there is a message in my, there's a message in my mess. And that's what took me forward in the book. It's just, everyone has traumas, but they don't have to define you. They don't have to label you. Like I am not a survivor of sexual molestation. I am not a survivor of an eating disorder. In no way, shape or form did it nearly kill me. I am a, I'm a victor of everything that I've gone through. I used, to I used to play and live as a victim. I know what that's all about, but now I'm a victor and this is how I move through it. And this is what I want people, even if they don't have the same traumas that I've, that I've gone through, it could be something as far as they, they lost their job, especially with the, what the hell's going on now anyway. They lost their job and that could be very freaking traumatic, especially if they have a family. But if they are able to learn something from what I went through to help them move from victim to victor, then my job is done. Uh, like that was powerful. And you said you said a quote in there, which has been said many times in this podcast, is you know, focus on the message, not the mess. Yeah. Um, and it's it's such a powerful mantra. I use it so much with my clients, you know, in terms of, you know. Don't worry about how bad your class you think your class is, because the message of your class is you're getting people moving, you're getting people in shape, et cetera, et cetera. Just focus on your message and the mess, just you know, learn how to tidy as you go. Um, I'm gonna ask a really, really selfish question here, and it's and it's interrupting the podcast with Curtis to tell you about the podcast supporters club. I said at the start you heard the generic intro I've got going for the, the podcast sports club. It is simply a way for you to support the podcast. It's a voluntary payment. The biggest thing, and this this is my this is my sale to you, the biggest thing you are going to get from supporting the podcast for paying four pounds. Nine pounds, twenty-five pounds, a hundred pounds a month, whatever you want to pay. The biggest thing you're going to get is the satisfaction knowing that you will support local business. As I said in the intro, I support three other podcasts. I love doing it. Yes, you get a couple of freebies and a couple of beneficiaries. What I'm going to be doing, the first ten podcast supporters are going to get an exclusive free Ricky Long podcast mug which I am going to post to you in the middle of April or at the beginning of April it depends how soon the first 10 come in so yeah podcast supporters club get your free mug if you're one of the first 10 love you bye back to the pod how did you put the book together like how did you sit down and write were you 10 minutes a day for a couple of months or did you just block out seven days and just live like an absolute monk and not move? There is, there is no, there is no organization to be writing this book. I, I won't even lie. Um, at the time I started to write the book, my laptop died. I was like, fuck. And so my friend, my business coach, told me about this app. It's called Transcribe. He's like, you can speak it to the app and it transcribes it. So I, I spoke every single chapter. Ah, right, okay. And it transcribed everything. So I just went on, like I had an outline of my traumas and spoke about each trauma, but then I decided to think of a name, of a catchy title for each chapter. But other than that, there's really no organization to it. I transcribed it on my, on my, on my phone and then transferred all the files from my phone to the, the laptop that I got then had to proofread it because um, I did everything myself, proofread, editing, everything. But then I just went through because the 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 transcription was very just raw. Like I literally would just take my phone and just start talking. I would walk around my house, walk outside, wherever wherever I was, and just start talking about whatever chapter I was or whatever trauma that I was that I was talking about at the time. And then just dissected everything and just made it more just made more made sure that I was concise, succinct, and on the point. 
And I ended up with about 15, 20 different drafts <laughs> by the end of it all. But there, yeah, it's just funny to you ask me that question because there was no, okay, four days, I'm gonna talk about this chapter. Let me get this out. The next five days, I'm gonna do this. It was just like, I just went all in. Oh, yeah. And I was like, whatever, and whatever comes out, comes out. Like there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it to the book because <laughs> even though it sounded cool when I was talking about it, really it didn't go. Like there was in the chapter where I'm talking about victim to victor, I come up with this whole phrase of, um, if you're a Marvel fan, Vibranium Victor. Yeah, I get like, that, yeah. I was like, you know, Vibranium is, some, is like, you know, it's indestructible, it's the most powerful element on earth. And so I just, I put them both together and it just came out when I was transcribed. I was like, Vibranium Victor, that sounds freaking awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> I just kept talking about it, kept talking about it, but it didn't go with the book. I still have the idea. I'm gonna find something, I'm gonna find some way to use it. But there, exactly. yeah. There, Huh? That's the second book. Yeah, no. <laughs> really, no. Yeah, there just wasn't really any organization to it. Which, in to be perfectly honest, that's normally how I operate. I'm just very, I react and I go. Like I, I will dive in and learn how to swim later. Like I'm not the person who, who wants to know every single thing before I jump. Like I'll jump and figure out the details as I fall. Uh -huh. um it drives me crazy like people who try to work with me uh if they're not that way they just like i can't do it i don't understand how your brain works it's like why well, rather try to like jump off a cliff and flap my arms and learn all the details on how to fly before i hit the ground as opposed to let me sit at the edge, edge of the cliff and figure it out so like, just go for it and learn as you go and that's that was one big reason why um this has nothing to do with the book but when i left new zealand I was a group fitness instructor, but I left, New <laughs> I left New Zealand to become national group fitness manager for Ghost Gym. Mm -hmm. So it was like all this gap yeah. that I had, like there's a bunch of leadership that I had not, I knew nothing about. Uh -huh. but I was like, yeah, I could do it and just learn as I went. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's Richard Branson. I can't remember the, exactly what the quote is. Like, basically say yes to learn how to do it later or something yeah. of that nature. So I was like, yeah, I could do this job. Couldn't, couldn't do that job. I was like, <laughs> I don't even lie. Like, I, was, I can relate so much. I'm, I'm very similar. I, I have a lot more confidence in me learning on the job and winging it than I have confidence in myself prepping to do detail about a job yeah. I'm about to do. I have no confidence in that part of me. I need to do, yeah. just like we have here, just sign on. Let's get to know each other. There was no... There's no 45 minute chat beforehand, right, Curtis? I'm going to ask you this question, and then if you can respond for about yeah. two minutes, and then I'm going to pick out that. Yeah, I'm very, I can relate to that. Let, let's just um, start yeah. and get better. Yeah, like I don't, I don't, I don't get caught in the de details because I firmly believe, because I know how I am. Like I'll get caught so much into the details that I want to act. Yeah. So I'd rather act and figure out the details as I'm acting because I'm like, oh, this needs to be done, or I think I need to do this first. And oh, I didn't do this yet, so I can't do this yet. I mean, it's actually, it was similar to my podcast. Like, I just I got caught up in the details before I actually did it, and so it it should have been out months ago. I, was like, I need I need to have the proper brand colors. Give me a fucking break. I needed to have the logo. And oh, me. Screw this, man. And I was like, I have yet to put it out. I'm just gonna put it out, mm -hmm. and. And it's, it's been really good. It's been except same with the same way with the book. Like you asked me, what was my process? There was no process. You're right. I just I just talked right. and then wrote and then typed and then went back to, to proofread. I mean, there was besides the proofreading and the proof edit and the editing, there was no process. Hmm. And I think that's what get a lot of people when it comes to like their traumas and stuff of that nature, they they need these things to be in order first. It's like there's never going to be a perfect time for you to conquer your your traumas. Like there was there was no perfect time for me to start talking about sexual molestation. There's no perfect time to talk about homelessness and eating disorders. It just needed to be done. Mm -hmm. I needed to make it that time. I needed to make 
I needed to make sure that everything was aligned for me and not be like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the manifestation to come into play and all that shit. Like I'm very spiritual and I believe in manifestation, but at the same time, when it comes to alignment, you need to take action for things to be in alignment. Yeah. So, and so that's what I did with the book. That's what I did with, with just going through my traumas. Like it doesn't make sense to me to, to sit back and think of all these little details if I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I and if I mess up, that's fine. I don't give a shit. Like I, I mess up. Like I mess, I messed up royally taking that job. Like I should I should have never taken that job. Never <laughs> ever. But it was so fun. I had a great time um, learning. I mean, because I went from New Zealand to Indonesia, which is like the other side of the coin. From clean air, healthy food to a third world country where you don't drink the water. I learned the hard way and pollution and everything and like to go through that to go through that experience I learned a lot of things about just being grateful for what I have on this planet what I'm able to experience so that was the plus of it I mean I got demoted at one point and then eventually I got fired so, so I was like okay um it just it just went about my business and created my coaching business but it was just yeah just you just act you just you need to act. There's no perfect time to do something. And if you're waiting for a perfect time, you're going to be waiting forever. Yeah. Uh, your business coach um, kind of has done something for you, which I embody a little bit. And it's a philosophy of if you're thinking about it, you're ready. So you were kind of like, I'm thinking yeah. about writing the book. And your business coach was going to do it. Like there was no yeah. process. Just go and start writing. And I think that's a brilliant yeah. mantra for people to have. You know, if you're thinking about it, you're ready and it doesn't matter whether it's writing a book it doesn't matter whether it's you know get a new job get a new qualification leave home you know move back in with your parents whatever it might be if you're thinking about it you're ready and you just work out how along the way yeah totally i mean because damn yeah it's just yeah you just you just have to take actually there's no because tomorrow's not promised like i think I used to take for granted a lot that I woke up the. I didn't think about the fact that I woke up the next day. Mm-hmm. I, I just like, okay, I, I woke up. Cool. My alarm went off at 3.30. I'm at the gym at 4 a.m. I get my training and I'm good. But there, but this is where when I lived in, in uh, Indonesia, where I really became grateful for the shit that I had because being an expat in a third world country you get treated like a king, like you get a contract. So you're, you get treated like a king. They pay for everything. And it's funny, we're talking about this now. So I was talking about this yesterday where I lived um, in Jakarta. I lived on nearly the top floor in a beautiful apartment, again, paid for. And then there was a creek. And Jakarta is one of those places that it wasn't built for a lot of rain. Like it basically is a bowl. So when it rained really bad, I'm all comfortable in my high-rise apartment, but across the creek, I see people's houses going down the creek because it floods. Then they have to wait for the water to recede to go get their roofs, to go get their animals if they're still alive. And they have to work together to rebuild their houses. I saw this every single time it rained. And it was just one of those things that it makes you really grateful for the, it made me really grateful for the fact, you know what? I have a phenomenal apartment. I have a phenomenal job. I had a driver. I was able to, you know, purchase things that if they would try to purchase it, it basically, basically would take probably their entire weekly income because mm-hmm. they didn't earn a lot. I mean, even the cab drivers would try to screw you over for more, for more money. Yeah. But be, being able to see that side of it made me really grateful and that I did get to wake up. Like one of the big things I talk about with my daughter before we go to bed, we talk about what we're grateful for. I always just simply say, I'm grateful for waking up. Cause I don't have to wake up. It's like, it's not promised. It's so not promised. And when I really got that, I and understood it and realized if I didn't wake up, it's like that whole thing of, oh, I can't remember, the hell's a movie. Uh, the Greatest Showman, it's at the very beginning of the movie where he's, He's working in a corporation. He looks out the window and you see all these people on their, on their, on their typewriters and right next door is a cemetery. Like it's so symbolic. Yeah. And so it's like, I could be here just coasting along and realize that 
tomorrow I could be in that cemetery, but what did I not accomplish? Yeah. What did I not do? Because I didn't act. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, it was just really being able to grasp that whole thing of gratitude and the fact that I don't have to be here. Like you and I, I could not wake up tomorrow. And so this will be my last time talking to someone. Mm -hmm. woman, she's down the stairs. But okay, so what did I not get accomplished today that I wish I would have got accomplished? So it's, it's just very powerful to realize how privileged or how blessed we all are. Yeah. Just disregarding the whole third country thing, but just the, the fact that we get to wake up. When you get so caught up in, you know, social media and the likes and the followers, or I didn't get the likes, or, you know, this client said no, like, I got fired. One of my clients fired me. I won't even lie about it. She fired me. And she's like, I'm not going down this path anymore. Um, I don't feel the coaching is for me. So I'm just gonna, I don't need your coaching anymore. And for a while there, I put it all on me. Like, what did I do wrong? What, what, did, what did I not deliver? And I, lived, I was like that for weeks. And so I just realized, like I just said, she just went down a different path. She is now going into politics. She's not trying to be, you know, a business coach and be a speaker and all this stuff. And I was like, that's okay. It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. But I really got caught up in that. What did I do? Yeah. And it's not clear. Yeah. Um, mate, I've loved chatting to you. I'm just very conscious of time here. Um, I've got a question. I always ask, uh, always ask the mental health question to everyone yeah. on podcast, and it's you know, how much does mental health impact your life? What does training and exercise do for your own mental health? Uh, that's a load of question. You said you said you're, you said you're like conscious of time. That's what you should have been the question you asked first. <laughs> you know what? I've it normally it. is, but it's just because of the flow of the podcast. <laughs> it's kind of gone last. <laughs> Mental health for me, oh my gosh, mental health is, has been everything. Like it's, if I didn't realize how important it is to have a healthy mindset, um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here to be honest with you. I attempted suicide when I was 18. So I wouldn't be here. Um, I guarantee that if I didn't realize how important mental health was, when I was homeless in New Zealand or some or something at some time that part of my life, I would have figured out I would have figured out a way to exit this life. So I think that mental health is shit, 98%. 2% is just us going out and acting on the 98%. Training is very important for me. Like it's if my family can can definitely contest, uh, attest to this is that if I don't get my training in in the morning, don't talk to me. Like, just just leave me alone. Um, it's the anchor of my day. It's the way because I mean I'm a I'm a father. I homeschool our daughter. I I'm a coach, and so for 19, 20 hours out of the day, I'm on. But for that first two hours of my day, it's again starting at 3:30 a.m. It's mine. It's all mine. Baby sleep, partner sleep, everyone basically is asleep. It's like three, four people in the gym. It's my time. So training to me is huge because I really believe that first you have a healthy mind, then you have a healthy body. But when you have both of them together, it really helps you to to think clearer. And I found this. I found this out the other today, this morning, that our brain consumes twenty percent of our caloric intake. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? And so it really made me think about my training and my nutrition even more. But yeah, the mindset and the mental health is so important, especially now. And the way that I hear like people that are close to me, how they're talking, it's the words. And I mean, our words create thoughts and thoughts create reality. Just how they're talking is like, oh my gosh, it's like, please be careful. Because I used to talk that way about myself, you know, not worthy, or I wish this would happen, realizing that when I say I wish, you're just expecting to drop in your lap. Yeah. But there's some shit that you need to do for it to come into your into fruition. And training, I mean, hands down, I mean, it's it's so important to be healthy in your body. I mean, just so you can, just in my experience, so I can experience life more. And I mean, I can have a healthy mindset, but you really can't, I feel, have a healthy mindset and then have uh, not have a healthy body. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It comes from the self. It just comes back to self love, which is what I is what is what I preach. Is that if you really love yourself, then discipline comes right after that. So you will be disciplined in what you think. You will be disciplined in what you say about yourself. You'll be disciplined on what you eat. You'll be disciplined on how you train. And granted, we're all human. We all have our times where we just don't give a crap. Like before, even this call, I had a couple glasses of wine. I'll be a perfect glass. I don't care. <laughs> That's just how it is. Yeah. I was like, I want to go. I had a couple glasses of wine with my dinner. But in the long run, that self, that love for yourself and that self-discipline comes from how you feel in yourself mentally and how you feel yourself physically. It all will lead to just like you said earlier, an unapologetic life, mentally and physically. You have to look after your physical to look after your mental. And you know, there's yeah. there's a common factor in all the you know most successful businessmen, women, and politicians in the world. They all do some form of exercise. Now they're they're not competing in marathons and strongmen and you know triathlons and all that, but they're you know they're getting on the treadmill for half an hour in the morning, you know, while they're prepping their their speech or whatever it might be, and, and people look after themselves and you know, just like you, I'm a, I'm a first thing in the morning kind of exercise guy. In the last mm-hmm. last five weeks, Curtis, we, we've got our, our new dog. So our morning routine has been all over the place. So oh, yeah. I've had some good days and I've had some absolutely dark days because I have my workout in at the time I want to do my workout. Yeah. So that's a, it's such an anchor of my day as well. And um and I, I know you obviously said similar. Um, I've seen on your social media recently as well. Like it's it's hot where you're training right now. I, I don't know whether you're on a bike or you're swimming. Uh, I'm, I might as well be swimming as wet as I am. I'm on a bike. Um, I just started getting into biking. Yeah, man, it's one of those things. That I used to make fun of bikers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just get out and run. Like I'm I'm a runner to the day I die. Like if I I'd rather run 100 miles than bike 100 miles. But I like the challenge because it's working my body a different way. But I bike in the morning, like tomorrow morning, I'll bike for about an hour and then I'll run for about 30 minutes. But biking destroys me. And that's why I like it. Yeah. Because it's a totally different stimulus. And so one, another reason why it's great that I work out in the morning when no one's awake, because I'm sweating, I'm yelling, I'm cursing. Like, I don't care what it is. I'm, I'm dying, but it's great. Yeah. That's, that's not weird to say. Yeah. But it, I love the biking. It's it's so fun for me now because I've gotten stronger. I can see that I can see the gains. But when I first started, I was like draped over the handlebars, and that was, I was like, God, if you're gonna take me, just take me now. I feel like I'm gonna die. I was like, <laughs> it's absolutely horrible. But yeah, the biking. I love the bike now. I love the bike. Do you yeah. do you embrace the lycra? No. because i need to i really need to that's the seat does nothing for me so uh you can put up with as a guy you know 15 20 minutes is fine after that it's things start to go i'm gonna have to go get some i'll be getting some lacquer here soon i was trying to avoid that but i just can't take it Uh, you gotta gotta (laughs) embrace it you just gotta embrace it put those pictures up on social media Oh, there will be one or <laughs> several. Maybe being stupid in Lycra. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last couple of questions. Um, best book yeah. apart from yours that you've read or listened to recently? Oh, gosh. Uh, I listen to David Goggins, You Can't Hurt Me. One of the best books ever. Uh, did, you say, did you say you're listening to it? I listened to it, yeah. So the audio book is unbelievable because a guy reads it. And then Goggins just talks to him. Oh, it's unbelievable. I, I, I read the book first. And I was oh, like, yeah. eh. Then I heard this audio version. I was like, I'm going to get the audio version. Audio version, hands down. Yeah, you so can't hear me. this book. I, I listen to a lot of audio books. I have never heard anything. And nobody's copied it for some reason. Nobody has yeah. copied it. And it's such a good idea because the guy was just like, Goggins, are you, are you all right? You know, explain this to me. And then he explains it in his own words, off the cuff. So good. That man has, Jesus. yeah, his life is amazing. It, but I was able to resonate with so much of what he was talking about. So that's one book. Then there's um, Jamie, damn it, Jamie Kern Lima, believe it. She was a lady who 
who sold her makeup company to uh, L'Oreal for 1.2 billion. She was the first woman to be the CEO of the company. Um, her her business basically came from the fact that she had a skin, um, let's say disorder, but her skin skin pigment was off. So she she came up with this whole makeup line. And so to hear about her journey to about her insecure, her body image insecurities that she had growing up to learn that she was adopted. Um, Love that book. Um, there's, what else is there? There's another one. I can't think of the top of my head now. Um, what the hell is the name of that book? I just was reading yesterday. Um, Disrupt. And I, I can't remember the name of the, the author. I want to say his name. First name is Jay. But um, it's called Disrupt. And it's just basically talking about how you disrupt the world. It doesn't take a, a, doesn't take a brand new freaking idea to disrupt the world. It just takes you looking at what's been done and do it better and finding people who need it. And so I really like that book because it really brings into, it just brings to the fact, brings to attention that, you know what? Someone's already made the car, make it better. Someone's yeah. already made the plane. Make it better. Well, I think the perfect example of a disruptor would be Elon Musk when it comes to cars anyway. Like that's a disruptor. So that really fuels me to always refine how I'm delivering my message, my business, uh, myself as a father. Um, it doesn't have to be in business at all when it comes to being a disruptor, but definitely in the, in the, in the realm of business that we have a lot of, coaches and speakers and, and things of that nature who just basically they do programs. I'm all, like, I'm thinking, how can I deliver quicker? Because humans want things quick. Like podcasts are supposed to be quick. There's now an app. I wish I can remember the name of the app. There's now an app that takes a podcast and breaks it down into like five, 10 minutes. So it just takes the basic notes of the, the podcast or the keys of the, the podcast and that's it. So a 30-minute podcast, you wouldn't think is long, but people don't want to listen that long apparently anymore. They just want the keys and that's it so they can go. So it's just little things of that nature that I love that book for. But I mean, out of those three books, David Godin, this man, hands down. I know. Like that. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> I've said this a few times on the podcast that my a hack for anyone who wants more Goggins if you go on to Spotify, you know, the podcast section, and just type in David Goggins, you'll get all the podcasts where David Goggins has been a guest on. Oh, yeah. It's just two people like this chatting about David Goggins. It's just like, oh, yeah. I need more Goggins. I need to add it. Just, I want to be Gogganized. Yeah, he's, he's, it's, it's like, I yeah. I know. His, if you ever his, want to either feel really, really lazy about yourself or be inspired, just go onto his social media for five minutes. That's all you oh, need. And you, you're, he, either, you're either going to feel really lazy or you're going to go out and run a marathon with no training. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm always the I'm always the latter. I'm like I should not listen to him yeah. when I come working out because I want to do more and I'm killing myself. But in the end, it feels great. But yeah, those are the three books. Those are definitely the three books. Um, and I'm always looking for new books to read. But those three books come off the top of my head. Uh, I've I've yeah. just finished uh, Matthew McConaughey's book Green Light. How was that? Really good. Ah, I'm getting that next. Green light, right? Yeah, first the first two chapters. Oh, let's say the first fifty pages or so. I've just I've bastardized it with highlighter pens and circles. Right. Um, such a good read. I've since listened to a few podcasts that he's done where he's talking about the book. He was on Joe Rogan's. He was on a high performance podcast, which is a sports podcast in the UK. Um, yeah. Because yeah, to me, Matthew McConaughey was an actor who did rom coms. And yeah. never knew anything else about him, and you're hearing all this stuff, and I uh, he's just fantastic. But sometimes it's just like uh, you know, I read yeah. his books, and it's the idea of green lighting yourself is what can you do now to green light yourself for later? So if you yeah. get traffic lights, a red light means you have to stop, a green light means you can keep going. So a perfect yeah. green light for everyone is make your bed in the morning, and it means when you go to bed. Don't have to make your bed. So you've got a red light if your bed's not made, you've got a green light. And it's, you know, yeah. if, you want, if you want to be retired by the time you're 50, well, you've got to do something today so as you have a green light to retire at the time you're 50. So it's as big as that. Yeah. 
or it's as small as, as making your bed. And it's such a, yeah. such, such a good, it was an unexpected find for me because I've seen them in films, we all have. And all of a yeah. sudden, this motivationless, and you're like, oh, all right, all right, what's this about? And I read it, and I'm like, boom. The very spiritual guy, like, I, I listened to him on a podcast talking about his book, and he talked about when he was in Australia, mm-hmm. how things were going right, and uh, I can't remember who the podcaster was, uh, Tom Ballou. And he asked him, did you ever think about going home? He's like, yeah, but he's like, but I wasn't going home because I was supposed to be there. Immediately, it made me think about when I was be- when I was homeless. Immediately. Because people were like, why did you call home? I was like, I was supposed to be there. I was like, thank you. Someone understands what I was talking about. Because everyone I ever talked to in regards to being homeless, they're like, man, I'm calling home. I'm getting a plane ticket to go home. I don't want to live on the street. I don't want to steal food. I was like, I, that's what I had to go through. That's what I needed to do. If I would have went home, I would have always had the what if. Period. And I refused to go back to my hometown with the what if. Because I always felt that some people would have, some people thought that I wasn't going to be able to do it anyway. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to prove them right for one thing. It's just an ego thing, but I didn't want to prove them right. So when he said that about his trip in Australia, I was like, so, someone gets it. Someone understands. Yeah, totally. Um, man, we're almost out of time. So we'll, we'll round off the podcast. Um, where can people follow you on social and find out more about the book and in fact, buy the book? Uh, you can find out about the book and buy the book from my website, www.curtispipes.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Curtis Haven Pipes. You can also follow me on um, Facebook as well at Curtis Pipes. Twitter, I don't remember what my handle is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it. I'll put it in the link. I don't even lie. Like, I, don't, I don't post on Twitter more, I, but Instagram is my main thing on Facebook, but those are the three places, Instagram, Facebook, and my website where you can definitely learn more about me and my book and basically my philosophy on, you know, living unapologetically and how, yes, it happened. There's my baby girl. Hello. It happened, but it's not happening. What's up? She's going to ask for something that she's not supposed to ask for. Ice cream? Ice cream? Ice cream. I think you should have ice cream. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, go get some ice cream. Uh, almost done. Yes, go. <laughs> normally, I normally I finish the podcast with what's oh, up no, next for you today, but I already know what's up next for you today. It's the rest of that bottle of wine and playing with your beautiful daughter. Yeah, yeah, totally. She knows how to come into a podcast. I told her I was on a podcast, but she knows how to ask, come in and ask at the right time for something that I would normally say no to. <laughs> I'm like, go have the ice cream. Yo, that's still fine. I don't care. Just go. <laughs> How old is she? And what's her name? I didn't catch her name. Her name is Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. How old is she? She's almost six. She'll be six in May. May, May 17th. Yeah. Far out. Uh, fast. Fast. It's like my little mini me. Guma, <laughs> <laughs> I've loved having you on the podcast today. Yeah, my pleasure. We had to go through a couple hoops to get here, but I'm glad that we got here, man. It was fun. Really, really fun. Cheers, man. You are listening to the Ricky Long Podcast, where international fitness entrepreneur Ricky Long answers your questions and interviews fitness leaders on training, nutrition, and mindset. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes.